we've been talking about commandments for the last uh, three weeks. This is the fourth part of this series, and uh, I asked you if you remember to memorize those uh, commandments. Uh, there's uh, ten of them, as you may know, and uh, there's, it's not that hard to memorize. And so there's two tablets. The first tablet is uh, four commandments about your relationship with God. The second tablet is six commandments about your relationships with each other. And remember, we've talked about how you can't really separate those from each other. The health of your relationship with God will impact the health of your relationships with others and vice versa. And so it's kind of a both and thing. So uh, today we're, gonna, we're here to talk about commandments number six and eight, which is thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not steal. And uh, you guys might be thinking, that's, uh, I think I got it. I, <laughs> I, I think I'm good. Uh, you might not describe yourself as a murderer or a thief. And so this is easy. Let's go home. But you all know that's not how we roll here. We're going to dig a little deeper and learn a little more. There's three things I want to accomplish today. The first thing I want to do is examine these commandments in context. So what did they mean when God gave them to the people, these two commandments? Uh, the second thing we'll do is talk about how Jesus fulfills these commandments. And the third thing we'll do is uh, just say, what does this mean to us today? Because we don't just want to learn theology and history. We want to talk about what it uh, really means today. So let's, uh, let's talk about murder for a second. Who's in? You guys in? All right, let's talk about murder. All right. Uh, you didn't see that line coming today, did you? When you got ready for church this morning. So... Uh, I think it's important to know what this commandment actually prohibited, okay? So some of your Bible translations, if you have an older translation especially, it's going to say thou shalt not kill instead of thou shalt not murder. Murder is actually a more accurate rendering or translation for this uh, commandment because this commandment does not apply to things like self-defense or soldiers fighting for their country in a just war, or capital punishment, or the killing of animals. All those things are described by other words in the Old Testament. This word was different. This word means specifically the illicit killing of another human being. The illicit killing of another human being. Okay, so I'm not making any commentary on the other stuff. Capital punishment and slaughtering animals and all that stuff. Uh, maybe we'll do another sermon series on that stuff. Uh, but today we're talking about this commandment, which means the illicit killing of another innocent human being. All right? Uh, is, is what specifically what this means. And the, the, reason, uh, the reason this is so important uh, to God is because we believe God creates people in his image. And so human blood is sacred. Human life is holy. It's royal blood in your veins because you are created in the image of God. And not just you, everyone. You might be thinking, I, don't, I know a guy who <laughs> I, I don't see anything of God in him or her. You know, like I know someone, I'm not real sure about this theory, but I'm telling you, you can't really follow Jesus faithfully without realizing that human life is sacred. Because of the Imago Dei, the image of God that all of us bears. And yes, for some people it's harder to find than for others, but it's there. And that's why murder is such an egregious sin. That's why it makes the top ten list. Because it's not just an affront to, uh, you know, people. It's not just an affront to the victim or the victim's family or to the church or the state. It's an affront to God himself. Because God puts something of himself in each person, and so it's a personal attack. 
when uh, a human life is taken. So uh, that's what makes it so heinous and so important. That's why we're spending time on this today. This commandment in its original form was actually two words. No murder. No murder. Some of you think uh, you're good on this. No murder. No problem. Like you're good. Let's move on to stealing because you took that pin one time from your bank. You know, like let's just, let's move on. But, but I'm not real sure it's that simple. I'm not sure we're that free and clear from something like murder. My favorite stand-up comedian uh, has a bit where he says, uh, if, if murder were legal, he says, if murder was legal, I'd like to think that I still wouldn't murder anyone. But I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, we need that law against murder. Because it is the number one thing preventing murder. It's not your morality that keeps you from murdering people. It's that it really sucks to get caught murdering because they put you in prison. You know, he says if murder was legal or, you know, a misdemeanor, like <laughs> you get something in the mail and, oh, shoot, they had a camera there. You know, like if, if, <laughs> if, if murder was legal, you might kill a few people in your life, you know, because his point is, and he's not a uh, Christian, I don't think, but, and this is Louis C.K., I quote Louis C.K. almost as much as I quote, like, C.S. Lewis in my sermons, but uh, he says, it's such a profound idea that we all have a murderous strain in us. He says, if murder was legal, you wouldn't want to be around anyone who's never murdered, because it would be weird, like, ugh, like, what's wrong with that person, you know, like, we all have that strain in us somewhere, that murderous possibility. And we need the law to prevent us from stooping to that level. So uh, hang on to that just a second. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But first, I do need to define what that other commandment, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, means. Uh, in context, it actually meant taking something uh, that God intended for or entrusted to someone else. Taking for yourself. Anything that God intended for or trusted, entrusted to someone else. And so uh, anything from that pen at the bank you stole that time to running a Ponzi scheme on Wall Street, it's all stealing. And you do any of that, you are by definition a thief. Now if the hosts, as you walked in this morning, instead of saying good morning, had said, are you a thief? You probably would have said, no, I'm not, I'm not a thief. But if you've stolen by definition that makes you a thief, no matter what you've stolen, right? So it could be anything. It could be that parking spot that's reserved for the employee of the month that you parked in when you're not the employee of the month. You don't even work there. And you took some <laughs> poor guy's spot that he works for. It's all he's got in life, you know, and you stole it. Cheating on tax forms, cutting corners to not pay taxes that you legally owe is a form of stealing. Ordering water at Chipotle and then filling that H2O cup with Sprite. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because they don't even give you clear cups. They give you paper cups. You can't even see what's in it. You can put Coke in there. Nobody would know. You know what I'm saying? And so, y'all know what I'm saying. I, I, I know what I'm saying. I'm confessing. So it's all stealing. Stuffing your pockets full of Walgreens candy and then walking into the movie theater is stealing. Is that too close to home for y'all? Now, you justify it. You say, no, stealing is charging $8.50 for hot tamales. But, 
you're the thief. Trying to walk in without making any noise. You're the thief. We all struggle. Sometimes we steal from movie theaters. Sometimes we steal from the government. Sometimes we steal from people. Sometimes we steal from God. And years and years and years ago, God set up this system uh, called a tithe. And it was kind of a deal God struck. It was a, it was a deal God struck with people after he created them. And, and it was a really good deal for people. God set it up like this. God said, all right, all right, guys, here's the deal. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to make the air just so, so that when you breathe it, it works for you. Like it feels good to breathe in and out. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the sun in the sky so that it never gets too cold. I'm going to tilt the earth on its axis just so, so that you get a variety of seasons. And in Houston, you get two or three days when it's not 112 degrees. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you food that you can eat. You can grow it yourself. Or you can go to H-E-B. You can, you can order it online at H-E-B and it'll be sitting there waiting for you. I'm going to give you food to eat. I'm going to give you water to drink. And it will just satiate your thirst. And, and, when, and when you really just want to let loose, I'll give you wine to drink. And if you have too much wine, I'll give you ibuprofen in the morning. And it won't even hurt anymore. And I'll give you coffee to drink. And I'll give you bacon to eat. And I'll, I'll give you life. I'll, I'll make it just so that you can fall in love with a person that you just can't live without. And then you'll get married. And you'll, I'll make it so that you can make love. And it'll be pleasurable. And I'll make it so that you can have a family. And you can not grow old alone. And I'm going to set this up for you guys. And the people were like, this is, this is too good to be true. They said, I bet he wants all our money. And God said, uh, no, no. I mean, I could take it if I wanted it because you haven't done anything to deserve any of this. It was not a gift you either asked for or, or deserved. But I gave it all to you so I could take everything from you. But here's the deal. I'm going to, I'm going to give you... 90% of everything that you have and you can spend it how you want and you can have fun with 90% of everything that you make. But with that other 10%, I'm just asking you to front me the, the other 10% so that I can feed the hungry people that don't have what you have and I can spread the word about what I'm doing in the world with that 10%. That's all I ask. And people were like, Whoa, that's a deal. We'll take it. And it worked for the people of God for a while. A few generations passed though and People started wanting to renegotiate that deal because spending 90% of your stuff on you is cool, but how much fun could you have with 95% of your stuff or all of it for that matter? And after a while, the idea of the tithe was not something that people adhered to anymore, even though it was set up in the beginning for their own good so they wouldn't get addicted to their stuff and they wouldn't get entitled and think they deserve what they earn because it's mine. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, God says, Will a mere mortal steal from God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, How are we robbing you in your tithes and offerings? Now, this isn't something that you're going to hear a lot of preachers talk about anymore because we don't. We don't want you not to come to church. We like when you come to church and the only time you'll hear a preacher say the word tithe anymore, it's on the TV right before you change the channel, right? Uh, and, and yet it's, it's pretty clear from God that if we ever get into that pattern of thinking that everything that we earn, earn is ours and we'll give God whatever's left or 
we'll be nice or charitable with God or with the poor or with the gospel whenever we have extra. We're building for ourselves a certain kind of prison. We're actually robbing uh, God himself. So we don't like to think of ourselves as thieves and murderers, but maybe if honesty is one of our core values, we should take a step back and realize we're no better than anyone on death row today or in prison today, convicted of crimes that we would never commit. Maybe the issue is that we've been around so much stealing and so much killing that it doesn't really affect us anymore. Maybe we're desensitized by the stuff we see on the news or video games or everyday life. It doesn't even affect us, the culture of death and thievery that, that we live in. And be honest with me for a second. What was your reaction this past month when you heard the news about Wells Fargo and their most recent fraud, you know, creating all those fake accounts? What was your reaction? Some of you were like, what story? I mean, you remember. It didn't even affect you. Most of you were like, oh, wow, didn't see that one coming. A bank's corrupt? Mm. You know, like you were cynical, just like I was, because we're used to it. It doesn't shock us anymore. We're desensitized. What was your reaction the last time you saw a headline about ISIS and the horrors there committing the atrocities in the Middle East? Another day, another ISIS beheading, oh, well. It doesn't shock us anymore. Let me bring this a little closer to home. And this uh, was something I wrestled with all week long. Should I say this? Should I not? I know this is going to hit very close to home for some in the room. But when was the last time you stopped and mourned the fact that in America every year 700,000 babies are aborted? regardless of your politics on this issue or your personal experience with this issue? When was the last time you stopped and grieved 700,000 babies? 75% of whom were aborted for non-health-related issues. I am not equating the decision a pregnant woman makes with murder itself. That's not the point I'm trying to make here. I understand as much as a man can understand. I understand how incredibly difficult and painful a decision that must be. And I understand that many women are coerced into that decision by a man in their life. Many women are scared into that decision because the father of her baby was a coward and fled the scene. She was alone. So I'm not drawing that equation. If, if this has been a part of your story, don't hear me singling you out as a murderer. It's not the point. I'm saying that we collectively as a culture have been surrounded by death and theft to the extent that 700,000 babies a year created in the image of God will never see the light of day and it doesn't even phase us. We're not even concerned. We don't speak of it. We just move on. My take is that we're desensitized. We're numb to it because we're used to it. We'd rather not think about it so we don't pay attention. But it should break your heart. 
it should collectively break the church's heart. And we should live with a daily sense of contrition and confession about our role as thieves and murderers in this culture that we live in. So that Jesus can enter in and heal us. Without confession and contrition, there's not going to be the healing that we need. We should have broken hearts. But here's what happens instead. And this is just my sort of subjective opinion on this. Instead of really just being broken about it and confessing and contrite about it, we just decide to get angry in general. That the world doesn't work the way we think it should. And we pick our villains and liberal Christians, they get mad at those white men on Wall Street and the conservatives that empower them. And conservative Christians get mad at those young girls who abort their babies and the liberals who enable them. And everybody's just mad and pointing fingers at this way and that way and this person and that person. They're the problem. He's the problem. That political party is the problem. And it's all very ironic. That anger or frustration is our reaction instead of contrition and confession. Because when Jesus talks about these commandments we're talking about today, he draws a direct line between murder and anger. And he says, really, the person who succumbs to anger is every bit as bad as the person who succumbs to murder. Here it is from Matthew chapter 5. You can follow along with me. Chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Y'all hang in there with me. This is hard to read. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, this is Jesus talking, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who's angry with a brother or sister. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I want to explain this. Let's leave this up for a second. Raka is a, a four-letter word in Hebrew that was common, uh, and it was a, a cuss word. When I was a kid, I was told that this passage was about cussing, and that if you cuss, you'll go to hell, right? I was uh, like, and I used to like uh, try my hardest not to cuss, right? One time, I was in a uh, batter's box in a little league game, and I cussed that day, and the pitcher hit me with the ball, and I go, ah, I just deserved that. You know what I mean? Like, I took a ball in the back, and it's called a cuss today. You know, like, this was the kind of thinking that I was raised with in my legalistic church growing up. Jesus in this passage is not talking about cussing. This is about anger. This is about the kind of perpetual frustration and rage that leads you to be a serial cusser, right? Like, this is the kind of anger that boils over, bubbles up in your soul, and, and just controls you. And he says that being controlled by that rage uh, is just as bad as being a murderer. Lashing out at the people around you saying, fool, fool, you know, you're the problem, you're the problem, you're the villain. That is every bit as bad as killing someone. <laughs> Which is pretty extreme. It sounds hyperbolic, and it's easy to say, well, Jesus is just being figurative here and move on and feel better about ourselves. I'm not sure it's that simple. Because this is Jesus fulfilling the original commandment. He's not 
just being figurative and letting us off the hook. He's fulfilling what was said for 1,400 years before he walked the earth. So the commandment was given to prohibit the outward sin of murder and theft. Jesus says, that's all well and good. I'm not here to prohibit outward sin. I'm here to heal inward sin. Outward sin, lowercase s, the actions that we take, and people go, that's a sin. Inward sin is the inner infection that infects all of us and causes us to question our identity in God. Because of the stuff we've done, we think maybe we don't, we're not worthy, we don't deserve love. Jesus said, I didn't come to prohibit outward sin, I came to prohibit condemnation. And the way you've been condemning yourself, the way you've been condemning others, that's what Jesus comes to do away with. Because your outward sins might get you thrown in jail, but your inward sin, well, that will find you in hell. Because when you're angry, often enough, for long enough, you will build around yourself a prison of isolation. One day you will find yourself alone in hell and wonder how you got there. Because that's what anger does. Anger isolates and destroys from within. And it's not just a spiritual, metaphorical destruction. Many studies have shown that physiologically, anger destroys you from the inside. People that deal with anger issues... 20% more likely to have heart disease, even if you don't have it in your family. People that deal with anger issues, much more likely to have kidney failure, liver disease, because your body shuts down. It's not meant to live in that kind of condition. And it's not just physiologically either. It's relationally. If you have anger issues, I almost bet you you have trouble in relationships. I bet you that it's tough for you to find someone that's interested if you're dating. You know, maybe it's endearing to them for a while. Oh, he's kind of cranky. It's cute how cranky he is. But, man, give it a little bit of time. And it's a pariah. No one wants to walk on eggshells around you. They don't want to be around you anymore because they're sick of worrying how angry you're going to be. And then later in life, it just doesn't get any better. You wear your wife out or your husband. You wear your kids down. Nobody in the office wants to be around you. They don't know what kind of frame of mind you're going to be in. Everyone's avoiding you. This is why the Bible talks so much about anger. Uh, I mean, Jesus' words is one thing. Jesus' brother James also speaks about anger in his letter. He says uh, in James chapter 1, verse 19, he says, you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And there's many Proverbs about anger, but I like this one especially, Proverbs 20, verse 3. Any fool can start arguments. The honorable thing to do is stay out of them. <laughs> the smart thing to do is stay out of them. Hashtag politics. Okay? The honorable thing to do is stay out of them. Angry people. Angry guy. I know you're here. I'm you too, right? That's, this is why I'm so good at talking about anger because it's my story. Uh, angry women in the room, you know, you know who you are. You're angry at me for even talking about it today. Like, you're ready to go. So listen, 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 all right? We know 
that even though we make our anger about other people, even though we act as though and talk as though and react as though other people are the problem because they're not listening, she's not meeting my needs, he doesn't care about me, they're ungrateful, you make it about everybody else, you know deep down the root of that anger is in your own heart and nowhere else. You act like you're disappointed in everyone else. Everyone else here is on to you. We know you're disappointed in yourself and what you become and what you're not. You act like you're upset with everyone else. We know you're upset with yourself. You act as if you're mad at everyone else. You're just mad at yourself. An angry guy, he, he takes something that was never his to take breaks two commandments in one, murdering and stealing, because he steals from his family. He steals joy and peace from his home. He steals dignity from his wife. He steals security from his kids. And all the while, he's shaving years off his life while doing it. He's stealing time from himself and his family. If I'm describing you, please just, please let this sink in. Before your wife reaches her limit and walks out, before your husband is pushed into the arms of another, before your kids stop wanting to be around you, before you lose all your Facebook friends over this election, before your heart gives out, Jesus said, you're a thief and a murderer, but you don't have to be that way. Even though what's driving your anger is your own sadistic, distorted self-image. Jesus came all the way from heaven and took a cross on his back to say that you are worth it. So you've got a choice to make. You can choose to believe what the enemy has told you about yourself, that you're a disappointment, that you're an underachiever, that you're not worth it, that you're not enough. And you can lash out in anger at those around you until they just leave you and don't want anything more to do with you. If that's what you want your life to look like, go ahead and walk down that path. Or you can choose to believe today that Jesus came and did what he did because he wants you to know you're worthy. And the blood in your veins is holy. Somewhere underneath all the layers of hard-heartedness and hard-headedness, is that Imago Dei, the image of God in you. Somewhere under all of that is the husband you can become, the wife you can still be, the child you were meant to be, the parent you're supposed to be. It's all there if you make a choice right now to believe that what Jesus thinks of you is more important and more accurate than what you think of you. Choose to believe that you're worth it. The day you decide, the moment you decide to trust Jesus' opinion of you rather than your own is the moment it all begins to change. I want to give angry guy in the room, I want to give you a little bit of hope right now. Because of the kinds of sins we see in ministry, the kinds of sins that work on repeat. Those kinds of sins we see often, and I'm telling you, the one that is healed and turned around most often is anger. And the Turnaround is quicker than with most other kinds of sins that work in a patterned way. 
you can be free today. If you stop pointing those fingers at everybody else and on the way home in the car, tell the people riding with you or write a text message at a red light, don't drive. And then, then you write in, you know, let somebody know that you're sorry. Be contrite. Confess. Be vulnerable and say, I know it's me. Help me, Jesus. Say, help me to your spouse. Help me to your kids. Today can be a new day. You can break free from the prison you've built for yourself. Let right now be the moment you choose to do something different. To say yes to Jesus and his freedom. At the end of today's sermon, we're going to celebrate one baptism. But as I said before, the table is, I mean, the floor is open to, to everyone to come and experience the water of baptism. If you've never been baptized before and Jesus is working on you, don't let the moment pass. Don't say, I'll do it next week because the enemy is going to get you throughout the week and remind you of who you think you were. If you've already been baptized and you've just kind of gone astray, come and feel the water of baptism again. I'm not going to re-baptize you. We'll just remember your baptism so that you can start fresh now and let Jesus set you free. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the freedom you afford us. We love you. We confess that uh, we've chosen to believe our own assessment of who we are instead of believing in you and what you say about us. We love you. We want to be free. In Jesus' name, amen.